I love to do on communion service night is to have some folks come and share their testimony, their story of how they met Jesus and how Jesus changed their lives. And so tonight we're going to hear from two of our brothers in Christ. Uh, both Todd and Alan have just become uh, elders here at our church, and so I've asked each one to come and share their testimony. Todd, we'll start with you, and then Alan, you'll come up. So why don't you welcome Todd up. All right. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody tonight? Awesome. All right. So like Terry said, my name is Todd Espinosa, and I'm here to testify to you tonight that the Lord is faithful. Moses declared in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. And Jeremiah proclaimed in Lamentations 3.23, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. When Terry asked me to give my testimony tonight, I was thinking to myself, what are you talking about, Terry? Um, You've got the wrong guy. I'm pretty much an introvert. Um, I'm the guy who was asked to speak at his college graduation for commencement, and I ended up taking a trip instead. So I didn't go. Um, And I don't like to draw attention to myself. But the Lord in his humor, he has me up here playing bass, being live-streamed. He has me teaching before the men's group and in other places in the past and in the youth. And he has me here standing before you tonight. So here we go. Um, I did try to book a trip for Aruba tonight, but my, <laughs> my wife wouldn't give me the time off, so that didn't work out. But all joking aside, the Lord has helped me with this over the years, and it's something I still struggle with. But I'm happy to share my journey with you here on this earth. I was born in Colorado a very, very long time ago, so we won't say when, but it was a long time ago. And we ended up moving around a lot because my dad was, uh, worked for the national labs, like Sandia Labs and Lawrence Livermore and Los Alamos, so we were always moving. So we ended up in Northern California in a small town called Livermore when I was around four or five. I recall attending church um, since the time I was a little child living there. but my memories of California weren't that great. There was a lot of turmoil in the home. My sister ran away when she was 16. And I do remember, um, you know, coming across some really bad people in my life down there. Um, there was two boys I used to play with down the street. We, we played for weeks, and this went on for a while. And then one day they invited me into their home. And I go inside, and all the walls are painted black. And I'm saying, okay, there's, there's interesting posters on the wall and things like that. It turns out that it was a family of Satan worshipers, and the dad was a satanic high priest, and they had an altar in the home and all this. So, so that ended pretty quickly. So I had some pretty bad memories, and I, I can't share all of them with you, but those are some of my worst memories. But my absolute best memory in California was the best ever. Um, it was around dusk. It was summertime. It was the evening. I was out riding my bike in the neighborhood by myself. And I remember feeling an overwhelming presence. I couldn't explain it. I just started to cry for no, no reason. And I remember vividly asking the Lord to be my Savior. And even though I was young, 
I, I felt this incredible sense of peace in my, my heart at that time. A few months after this, um, we had some family visiting from Colorado. And do you remember those big Brady Bunch station wagons? You know, the ones that had a jump seat in the back and there was a roll-down window. Well, they came and picked us up and we were out riding around through Livermore. And we came to a red light and me being the smallest, I was sitting in the very back in that jump seat looking out the back window. Um, there were no seat belts back there, so I was just sitting back there. And in the distance, I see a car coming. And that car is just it's coming pretty fast. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. And it never stopped. We were rear-ended. Very bad, you know, it was a very bad accident. And I felt myself being ejected out of the back of the car. I was on my way out. And I just remember feeling like something was grabbing my hand, pulled me down to my seat. And it all happened in just a split second. And I'm just sitting there looking out the window, seeing this demolished car behind us. Because if you've ever run into one of those station wagons, anything that hits it is just completely demolished from behind. But I don't know what happened. I can't explain it. All I can say is, is God is faithful. Um, shortly after this, we moved again because my dad had to move for his job. And we ended up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. At that time, I was attending a small Assemblies of God church, but it was in Spanish. And I didn't speak Spanish, but I was very grateful. We had a Sunday school, and Sunday school was in English, even though the teaching and the worship were in Spanish. I was grateful for this little church because I learned a lot there. Um, I remember my elderly Sunday school teacher. She was always telling us, you guys need to read your Bibles, and you need to memorize them, because someday evil men may come and try to take them. That's how she would try to get us to read and in the back of my mind, I was thinking, no, this is the United States. That's, that could never happen. That's ridiculous. So it's interesting that right now in California, Assembly Bill 2943 would make it illegal to sell or lease goods and services expressing Christian beliefs about sexual morality and orientation. So basically, a Bible ban, it would pretty much affect pastors from being able to teach. And I'm just hearing my... Sunday school teacher in the back of my head. Um, it's also interesting, this past week I saw a convention in Boston called SatanCom, and these people were happily having a good old time shredding Bibles. That was what they were having fun doing. So all I can say is I spent a lot of years being a patch reader with no consistency. I was just reading here and there. I wish I had listened to her a lot sooner. So we're still in Albuquerque, Sixth grade rolls around, and I used to walk to school from my house, and we were in one neighborhood. It was a rough neighborhood. We were in one, one neighborhood, and uh, we used to walk through a patch of desert to the another neighborhood to go to school. And one day, I was walking home from school from a couple of friends, and we noticed some high schoolers out in the desert shooting a gun off. I just thought, oh, well, there's target practice. <clears throat> so as we continued walking, um, we were approached by these men, and the guy with the gun he came up and placed the barrel on my stomach. And one of the older boys I was walking with said, hey, come on, man, come on. But this guy was just totally poker-faced, and I was looking at him, I was looking down at the gun, and then he pulled the trigger. Um, the gun didn't go off. So I started to run, and then I heard a shot from behind. And needless to say, they were caught, and I got to experience uh, the juvenile justice system there in Albuquerque for a while, so that was interesting. I can't explain what happened. All I can say is that God is faithful. Um, 
So at one point in time, we ended up leaving that Spanish assembly, and we ended up in a new church. It was large, it was vibrant, and the pastor was very charismatic. And he was saying stuff we hadn't heard before, like, your words have power, and if you believe and have enough faith, you can have anything you want, right? So, but after the service was over, I could recall. I can't recall anything is what I could recall. I couldn't remember anything he just said. Um, I was not supposed to have learned anything there, and that's exactly what was happening. We took our Bibles to church, but we never opened them. And the, every service was like this. There was some really upbeat music. And then there was a 20-minute pep talk from the pastor. And then he would start collecting an offering for 20 minutes. And sometimes it would collect an offering two or three times. I didn't realize it at the time. Was I was smack dab in the middle of the Word of Faith movement. Um, it was a spiritually abusive church looking back. I remember the pastor having a new Mercedes, the wife having a new Mercedes, and he had a huge home uh, riverfront property there in Albuquerque. So I was a teen, and something inside of me never felt right about the place. And at the time, I had a lot of zeal. I had a ton of zeal. I had no knowledge, though. So it was, it was kind of uh, a moot point. So around the 11th grade, I was invited to hear some guy named Skip uh, give a Bible study. I was amazed at the passage of scripture because he was teaching line by line. Um, he was teaching at some church called Calvary Chapel. N- never heard of it. It was strange, though. He never asked for money. So I thought that was weird. What's, what's wrong with this guy? He's not asking for money. I was recruited by the Marines near the end of my senior year of high school. I had scored high on the ASFAB, and I signed up for a six-year tour in Asia as a combat engineer. But the Lord had different plans for me. The morning I showed up to MAPS for orientation in my final physical, I was suffering from food poisoning that I had gotten the night before. The doctor that was doing the orientation, she was a lieutenant colonel, and she was kind of in charge of the whole thing. So in the middle of her talk, I asked her if I can go to the bathroom, and she said no. And about five minutes later, I asked again, she said no. Third time, I knew I was just going to, I was going to, have an accident there and and throw up on somebody but I asked the third time she angrily told me to go so I went so I came back finished the orientation there was another physician there that did the final physical passed I got the green light here we go she was the senior officer and I went home thinking I was in I got rejected by her so no marines for me And my thought was, okay, I can go to the Marines, get some education, and then I'll have college afterwards. So that didn't happen, so I just decided to go to college. All I can say is God is faithful. He knew what he was doing. I left town for school. I tried a couple churches in that small town. One of them was very legalistic, and the other was very liturgical. So I basically ended up not going to church. I basically ended up not reading my Bible a whole lot. But every time I'd go back to Albuquerque, I'd make it a point to go see that skip guy. I went through a deep bout of depression while I was there at school. I realized now that I was just starving spiritually. I thought I was okay, but in reality, I was living a lukewarm life, and I was no better off and no less of a wretch than someone than with what we would call a past. I had broken every commandment in one way or another and was totally oblivious to it. I lasted about a year at that college and ended up moving back home to Albuquerque and attended the University of New Mexico. During my last couple couple years um, at college, a new girl was hired at the clinic where I was doing my internship. Uh, 
when I first met her, she was wearing ropers. You all remember roper pants? She was wearing ropers. She was wearing cowboy boots, and then she was wearing a button-up shirt that looked like an old tablecloth from Pizza Hut. Do you remember those? Um, and then I learned she was from Texas, and I went, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay. So I didn't know it at the time, but that, that girl would later on become my wife. When we were about to get married, she said one thing to me that I remember. She said, I'm Catholic. I'm always going to be Catholic and never try to change me. So I ended up praying for her and taking her to see the Skip guy too. But the funny thing is that she had heard Skip before in the past, and she had actually given her life to the Lord. But she was still serving in, in the Catholic Church and, and doing that thing. So we got married, and I, I would take her to Calvary, and then she would go and attend Mass. And this went on for some time. And as she began to hear more and more of the Word of God, and just comparing, she kept seeing that things weren't quite right. So she ended up leaving, and... She was taken out of the Catholic movement, just like I was taken out of the Word of Faith movement. So God is faithful. A couple years into our marriage, she asked me to move to El Paso so she could be near her parents. But we had a, had a talk a couple years prior where I said I would never move to Texas. And um, I absolutely kept my promise. I live about 500 feet from the Texas line <laughs> in New Mexico um, out on a farm. So never moved to Texas. This was a difficult move, um, one of the more difficult moves I'd have to make, and I had made a lot of moves over my life. Um, but it was by far the best move I'd ever done. We heard about a small Calvary chapel on the west side, and there was a young pastor, a young guy named Terry, who had moved down from Albuquerque, too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, we instantly felt at home, and we've been coming here for over 24 years. During this time, several of my wife's family members have come to faith in Christ and attend and serve at this church. And her brother, he even became a Calvary Chapel pastor. And God is faithful. Several years ago, my wife and I came to a turning point in our lives. We decided to really study the Bible for ourselves and have daily quiet time with the Lord. We picked up a couple of one-year Bibles and were hooked. Every time we started one, uh, the one-year Bible over again, we saw something new and realized that God's word was bottomless. It changed everything uh, as we saw each other grow. And we realized that the only way to become more Christ-like is to learn more of Christ and his character through his word. God has allowed us to manage a business and serve in various ministries over the years. We have three amazing children who serve the Lord as well. Two of them got married this past year, too, and they have spouses that love the Lord. My little one was up here singing tonight, so she's one of the ones that's serving. Um, but I can tell you, I know my, my childhood Sunday school teacher would be smiling right now, knowing that we finally started reading and memorizing God's word. I once heard someone say that God doesn't use the person who was raised in church their whole life as much as someone with a past. First of all, everybody has a past. I don't care who you are. Billy Graham had a past before he came to Christ. This person also said that someone raised in church had it easy, might be pampered. And I couldn't disagree more. Being raised in church doesn't exempt you from trials. It guarantees them. And nothing builds your faith like seeing God help you through those trials. My best friend in college, Alan, he passed away unexpectedly when he was 27. In 2011, my dad, who was 73, went for a walk and never came home. His body was found three days later after a massive search. 
And six months after that, my nephew Josh died. Um, just a little background on my nephew Josh. We were about 12 years apart. We were great friends growing up living in Albuquerque. He ended up moving to Denver, and um, my sister and her husband ended up getting a divorce. And it was at this point he started um, doing drugs and drinking. He was in and out of prison. And when I would go up to visit him, I would try to tell him about the Lord. And he would just get angry and say, what has God ever done for me? So there was a long period of time where we didn't talk to each other. Uh, we had no contact. And then one day out of the blue, he called and asked me for some medical advice. And he said, hey, my, my legs are swollen. My, my stomach is swollen. So I sent him to the, told him to go to the hospital, and he was in, in full liver, liver failure. Um, in addition to the drugs and things he was doing, he was drinking a liter of brandy per day um, and then chasing it with some beer to kind of keep it down. Um, so I flew to Denver to go see him. And I spent a couple of days there with him, visiting him in the hospital, and, and now I had him cornered. He couldn't go anywhere. And this young man who had been shaking his fist at God for so many years finally surrendered to him. He instantly became a new man, and he wanted to know more. He reminded me of the workers that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers that are hired throughout the day. And the latest workers only worked one hour, but they got paid the same amount as those who had worked all day long, and that was Josh. Um, I ended up coming home, and he was released from the hospital. Several weeks went by, and then I got a shocking call from him. He hadn't been to church since he was a little kid. He knew nothing about where I went to church. But he called, and he was living in Aurora, Colorado, and he said, Hey, Uncle Todd, do you know about this little church down the street from me? It's called Calvary Chapel. Have you ever heard of it? So I said, yes, I have heard of it. So I did encourage him to go. I got the times of the service for him, and he went. I have to admit, though, I was very, very worried for him and how people would react to him. What is he going to be accepted? His head was, was shaved. Um, he was covered with tattoos everywhere. His skin was yellow, very, very yellow. His eyes were yellow. He had this big pot belly, and he only weighed about 75 pounds. Um, he could walk some, but sometimes he needed a wheelchair. So I was worried. But then I found out <clears throat> that that Calvary Chapel Aurora had a, a substance abuse and recovery program, and they loved on him for the next three months, and they poured into him and just taught him about his newfound relationship with Christ. Um, so I came, I was at home and when all this was going on in Colorado. So one day I was going on a business trip. I was flying out of El Paso to another city. And I got a call and it was my sister saying that, you know, Josh was in the hospital. He wanted to say hi to me. So I picked up the phone and, and he just said, I love you. And he wanted to thank me. And then... I heard him telling my sister, who was holding the phone for him, Grandpa's almost here for me, which is my dad, who had passed away. Um, when the plane landed an hour later, you know, and my sister called again, he had passed away, right? And even though my sister wasn't walking with the Lord, she said something that I'll, I'll never forget. She said, there was this incredible peace in the room when Josh passed away. And I was staring at him as he was taking his last few breaths, and his skin wasn't yellow anymore, and <clears throat> his eyes weren't yellow, and his stomach went flat. <clears throat> God is faithful. So <clears throat> I can look back knowing that Josh lived a full life in the Lord, even though it was 
three months. You know, God did a mighty thing in him. So I've made a lot of mistakes over the years, and there have been some regrets. And people and circumstances have caused pain. And these things are easy to dwell on for us. But God reminds us that we're new creations in him. I have one last thought to share, and I shared this with the men's group a few weeks ago. And sometimes God just has to remind me of things and reminds us of our past and what we need to do with our past. But it was the 2022 football season, and I was watching the Dallas Cowboys play the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. And um, Brian Tanhill threw a Hail Mary pass way downfield to the receiver, and he was running as fast as he could, this receiver. And um, I just saw the ball flying through the air, and for a moment it looked like, gosh, this guy is going to get this catch, and he's going to make a touchdown. But in the very last second, he missed the ball. And I'll never forget what the commentator said. It just stuck with me, and I just saw the spiritual application right away. The commentator said, the reason the receiver missed the ball is when he was running, he was looking back and not looking up. And he said, the only way you can see something coming from above is to look up. So I would say to you tonight, look up and don't look back. Let the past be the past. God wants to do a new thing in you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this evening, Lord. I thank you for every person here, dear God. Dear God, we pray that you would just continue to strengthen us, Father, that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you in these last days, Father, that you would give us wisdom, Father, and that you'd help us to love each other, Father, and support one another as times get tough. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, each and every one of us in this room tonight, Lord, to be a true disciple, Father, a true worshiper, a true servant, Lord, that you would empower us and that you would just reveal more and more of yourself to us each and every day, Lord. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your great faithfulness, Lord. We can't even describe, and I can't even, I don't have enough time to tell of all the stories of your faithfulness tonight, Lord, but I thank you, and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Man, thank you, Todd. I have to say there's a few things that I find more inspiring and more just enjoyable than hearing testimonies from brothers and sisters, right? I really appreciate that. Uh, My name is Alan Griswold. There was a time in my life when I was going from the arms of one woman to another. I couldn't get off the bottle, but then I turned three. (laughs) Yeah, I do not have a dramatic salvation story. It's more a story of steadfast love. I was so fortunate to be born into a family where my mom and dad sincerely believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And they loved me and my brother. And uh, to give you an example, my my dad was a a teacher, a high school teacher in in the only high school in my little town in Kansas. Yes, I had him as a teacher. Uh, but on weekends, he, he had a master's degree from Moody uh, Bible Institute in Chicago, and he would preach at little country churches that didn't have a pastor. Um, in fact, for most of his life, most of my life growing up, we would drive 85 miles one way every weekend to preach at a, at a, at a Zenith, Kansas. It was just a church and a, and a grain elevator. That was it. Farmers would come from around. My dad would preach. We would go have dinner. My brother and I would ride horses and play on the toys and in the, in the uh, haystacks. And we never, we never rubbed down a horse. We never did one bit of farming, but we sure enjoyed all the fruits of their labor. <laughs> 
Uh, my mom stayed home to raise us. Um, she was involved in ministries as well. One of them was Gospel Ministries to Children, which puts on five-day clubs, which uh, uh, is a little club that teaches Bible truth and salvation to, uh, to kids. Um, one day, I was probably about six years old. I was at a, one of the Bible clubs in our own home. And I was asked if I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart. And I have a memory of getting off my mom's lap and asking Jesus into my heart at that, at that time. Okay, so we're done. <laughs> no. Listen, here's, here's the thing. As, a, as I was so lucky. My mom, I remember this specifically. My mom teaching my brother and I this verse with our hands like this. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and three days later, he arose, according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That verse has a rhythm in English. You can feel it. Come to find out, it has a rhythm in Greek also. It's a technique. It's how you teach someone who can't read to repeat a story perfectly and teach someone else who can't read the story. It's interesting to me to think that for thousands of years... Mothers have been teaching their little boys, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and three days later, he arose, according to the scriptures. You can almost picture Timothy, uh, who who St. Paul regarded as a a son. His grandmother, who was a Christian, teaching him the gospel with those words. Now, we all know that, that the life of Christ, once you're committed... We, we want it to be a life of ease and no problems. God solves everything, gives us all the, the blessings we could, we could muster. But we know that we live in a fallen world. We, I know that I am not perfected. Um, and suffering is part of, the, part of our experience. Um, sometimes, usually when I suffer, it's because I screwed it up. <laughs> I deserve what I get. Um, and sometimes we have suffering, too, that is unexpected, that we, we may not... Uh, that, that is just part of a fallen world. But I remember one of the times when I first felt like I felt the presence of God. And I was in college, some friends and I decided we were going to go backpacking in the, in the uh, Grand Canyon for a week during spring break, which we did. One day we were uh, hiking around, and we realized we had come to the top of a waterfall, and we looked over and saw there was a beautiful pool at the bottom, maybe 100 feet below. And the Grand Canyon is hot. So we thought we would climb down that cliff and jump in the pool. About halfway down that cliff, I realized I was stuck. And we were rock climbers, but we didn't have any ropes. We didn't have any gear. We just tried to climb down that cliff. And so uh, I started to get worried. I noticed my forearms were starting to burn. My legs were weak. And uh, I was starting to panic to the point where I literally couldn't even see. And I was thinking, I'm going to fall off this cliff. And I literally called out, God, save me. And in that moment, I felt like a... I felt, I guess, like a voice in my head just said, breathe. And for, I just took a big breath. And I felt a peace just fell upon me. And I just instantly relaxed. And I opened my eyes. I could kind of focus again. I saw one more little hold, a little bit of a stretch for me. But I just reached, went for it. Got that one foot after another. And I got to the bottom of that cliff. Interestingly enough, my buddies were at the bottom of the cliff. And we were all, I noticed they must have looked just like I did. Faces white as sheets. <laughs> so... God worked a triple miracle. <laughs> um, one of the things in college that, um, a, a, something that brings me a little extra joy is when we have our baptisms in, in the pool, you know, in our, in 
in our brother's uh, backyard. When I, the church that my dad preached in for most of my growing up was Presbyterian. And Presbyterians baptized by sprinkling water. That's just how they do it. In college, as I was reading the Bible, I realized that it, feel, it looks to me like when people get baptized, they always get the dunk. And so I thought, I should be dunked. So I uh, got my, some of my best friends, and we went to it. One night, we went to a swimming pool, and they, you know, baptized me by immersion. The only difference between that and what we do is that we had to climb a fence. <laughs> that guy would have been surprised if he woke up, right? <laughs> yeah, on reflection, maybe I should have done that better. <laughs> um, when I moved to Kansas after college, uh, I mean, moved to Texas after college, um, I met the most beautiful girl, like just stunning. And come to find out, she believed what I did. Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and three days later, he arose, according to the scriptures. Now I had to teach her the hands, but she knew the rest. Uh, when, so we got, you know, further proof that there is a God, she, he, she married me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one thing that uh, is interesting, though, marriage is a lot like the Christian walk, in that when you get married on that day, it is best day of your life. It is really exciting. But also you think that every day after that is going to be awesome. (laughs) It's going to be paradise. Uh, And yet, when two people get together, strong-willed people with their own thoughts, there's going to be conflict, right? Now, come to find out, conflict is not bad. And one thing that I have, uh, Susan and I uh, uh, fight fair. (laughs) We both believe in the Holy Spirit fills us. We both we may have some disagreements on how to get things done, but we are ridiculously aligned when it comes to our goals. We have said, and we've decided, we will follow Jesus Christ. We want to live for him. Now, we don't always know exactly what that means in the future, but we've committed to it. As jobs are laid in front of us, we're committed to, to, to doing those jobs. A quick, a quick story, because it's just a favorite one. When we were engaged, we, went to, uh, we were on the way to a wedding. We were reading a book by the guy who eventually would make the, the website, Harmony.com. This was way before that. And, we, and in the book, it, we found our personality types, and it said of those personality types, you're going to have a lot of conflict. It said, in fact, this is the most conflicting two personality types in, uh, that there are, and if you're engaged, you should rethink it. That's what the book said. So I was driving it. I was driving. Susan's reading the book out loud, and I'm driving. I said, what? Let me see that book. I took the book, and I threw it. I chucked it. Okay, it's a favorite story of ours, but that guy was right. <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, uh, but we have, the glue is Jesus Christ, right? We, we know. Sometimes life is not easy. We're on, the, we're on the top of the mountain now. We can see our future, sometimes the other mountain, but we don't see the valley. We've got to walk through the valley. But Jesus has, uh, has, has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Right. You know, uh, one thing that... Um, I'm just going to make a quick plug. We just came back from a marriage conference. Given our personalities, that might not be a shock. <laughs> but... Uh, the, the way it kind of worked out was different. On Wednesday, a week ago today, Susan called me and said, hey, there's an opening for the marriage conference. Do you want to go? It hadn't even hit my radar. And honestly, my first reaction literally in my head was, am I in trouble? I was trying to think. What did I do? And I was like, I don't think I'm in trouble. And so I was looking at the email that she'd sent me, and it says, 
activities. Shoot guns, ride ATV, and horseback riding. I was like, is this a trick? <laughs> no, of course not. We just have the coolest church ever. That's what it is. So we went up, spent a wonderful weekend at this marriage retreat with other Christians and that have, you know, is with the silver cords. So the, the rules to get in the silver cords, you have to be 50 and have walked through the fire. <laughs> if you're 50, you've walked through plenty of fire. So it was so encouraging just to hear other testimonies of how uh, Jesus Christ has strengthened marriages, blessed people, got them through hard times. It is, it is just one of the most wonderful ways you can spend a weekend. And on top of that, you get to shoot guns, ride ATVs, and go horseback riding. <laughs> so uh, next year, come with me. It, it'll be fun. You know, uh, after marriage, not after marriage, but I mean, as marriage progressed, and the kids came, right, which is another part of life. And um, it, 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 it's something that really grew me, I have to say. It, um, that's something that matured me over a few years. But I still rem- never rem- forget when we were having our second child, we, when Susan was having our second baby, right, second child, and I'm standing right there, you know, I'm, I'm in there, and I can tell that something's wrong, something's not right. People are kind of looking around, there's a, there's, it's, something's not right. It's, there's a, something in the air. I'm watching the heart rate monitors. I can see the baby's heart. I can see Susan's, and it's, it's low, um, and then all of a sudden it starts going lower, and it's, they're both dropping. Both heart rates are dropping, and immediately people are like, it is intense. There's movement going. No one even re- was paying attention to me. I mean, even knew I was there. It seems like I, I was just staring going, what's happening? Like, you could see alarms are going off. Bells are ringing. The people are moving super fast. The fact they started the C-se- emergency C-section there. They didn't even take her to the operating room. It just everything started happening. And I remember it for the second, I don't know, it was the second time in my life. But I remember crying out, God saved them. Because I knew that I, was, I had no power. I had nothing. There was nothing I could do. Uh, and as I'm watching, I'm uh, watching the doctor work. It was literally seconds, not even minutes, before I was holding a healthy baby boy in one hand and a soon-to-be-very-uncomfortable mommy in the other hand, right? Praise God. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Also, since that time, I've never looked at the cross the same. I, I know in that moment I would not give up my son for anything. And, I, and I, it makes me think, what did God the Father give up when he gave up Jesus Christ for us? Um, you know, the thing about kids are, it is different though, right? Because for the first time in your life, you're thinking, if you could absorb some of their discomfort, you would do it. You know what I mean? And kids suffer too. They suffer sometimes, uh, sometimes illness, sickness, things that are not their fault. It's almost worse when you see your kids making, doing dumb things. You know, they're making a, a poor choice, and they have to suffer for it. Now, part of me goes, yeah, you deserved it. But honestly, you don't want it like that. But my thoughts on suffering have changed a bit over time, too. Um, suffering makes you strong, right? It has the potential to make you strong. Sometimes suffering comes, we deserve it. Sometimes it doesn't. Either way, in this life, we will suffer. With Christ, not only can you become strong, you can become strong enough to not become bitter. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I, that's what I think we have experienced. Now, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at it. I did, uh, as many of you know this story, but I did lose my job uh, last summer. I was laid off with a bunch of other people. The sales force that used to be 1,400 was down to 400, so I kind of, you could see it coming. I, I like to joke I'm six for seven of layoffs. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, the last one that got me. So, um, but here's the advantage of having been through the ringer. A bit. I bet Todd would absolutely agree with me on this too. When you've kind of been through it and God has shown up every time, he has kept his promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That you start to wonder, it, it gets interesting. Things happen and you're like, hmm, I wonder how God, what God's going to do with this. I wonder how this is going to work out. And talking with Susan, uh, she had the same, same feeling. She, goes, she says that maybe she was a little more nervous than I was. <laughs> but we both knew God would take care of us. You just know it. And, in fact, that is what happened. I, I was fortunate enough 10 days later to go back to work, actually for the same company but in a promoted position. So uh, it doesn't always work out like that, right? But praise God, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Um, now we're in a transition period. Our kids are, are finishing up their, uh, their college careers. They're getting jobs. They seem to thrive. Now our prayers, I hope they embrace the faith like we do. I hope that they embrace Jesus Christ like we do. And, um, but, but we know that God is not the God of grandsons and granddaughters. He's the God of sons and daughters. Each person has to make their own commitment, has to make a decision. Yes, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we pray that they embrace that as, as we have. Um, you know what's next for us? We're not sure, but it's exciting. We, can't, we are curious to see what God will, how he will use us in our life. And in this new time, um, um, I can't tell you how much in the last few years that Calvary Chapel has ministered to us, just how much we love you guys, how much you have loved us. It is just something that um, it's hard to express how much we appreciate you. You know, part of being a Christian is the fellowship. Christ is in us, but, our, but often that Christ is expressed through the brothers and sisters around us. We are committed to you, and I know that you have already committed to us. Sometimes you'll see Susan and I up here at the front of the church uh, after a Sunday seeking prayer because we, we need it. Just, just a few weeks ago, uh, Kevin prayed for us. We we're like, man, our son is just frustrating. You know, we want him to embrace the faith. We want opportunities to minister. And Kevin prayed such a great prayer for us. I don't remember what it was. I just remember we felt peace after that. You know what I mean? And I just want to, we wanted to, uh, and we wanted to report back. You know, we've had several opportunities to, to preach, to talk, to pray for him, to preach Christ and to say the gospel one more time. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I'm about to wrap up. If I were to, to finish, I would just say this. I'm Alan Griswold, and this is my testimony. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And he rose again, according to the scriptures. God bless you. Isn't that encouraging to hear stories? Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation... Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's when you meet Jesus Christ. Everything in the past goes away, and everything becomes new. You know, when we sit at the communion table, we, we come to remember the price that was paid so that we could all become new creations. And that's good. We want to remember that. 
I would hope that you would also remember your story. I think communion is a time where you can kind of look back, remember what Jesus did for you, but remember the day you met him. Think about what life was like for you before you met him and then how you met him and how everything changed. And I'd like you to consider that tonight. We rejoice with Alan and Todd and many others. Rejoice in your salvation and in your story. And I want to ask you before we um, get these elements distributed. Excuse me. Do you have a story? Do you have a story? Has there been a moment, a time when you received Christ? I want you to uh, think through that. Let's turn our lights down. Those that are going to come help me distribute. And I'll have our worship team come up.